Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, welcome to the latest episode of The Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro Kevin Crane, as always, glad to have you aboard here. Early Friday evening, September the 9th, 2022, episode 56. Very, very packed, full episode this week. Lots to talk about, so let us start off, as always, with news of the world. Rock and roll news, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen. Speaking of tributes, I have to admit I was a little bit derelict in my duties last Friday. I forgot to point out that Saturday morning, September the 3rd, 1130, the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert at Wembley Stadium in London was airing on Paramount+. Plus. I hope you caught it. If you didn't, my understanding is that now you can watch the full four-hour-plus concert in its entirety on Paramount+. Plus. I was having issues that weekend in terms of I had gotten information saying that you could do that So I only watched about the first 30, 40 minutes, figured I could catch up on the rest Sunday, go on Sunday morning, and all they've got is a 45-minute highlight show. So I was not happy, but I've been told since that Paramount Plus has actually now posted the entire uncut Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. So check that out. I am not through it all yet. I'll admit it. I have watched a decent chunk of it. But there are plenty of moments that I still have to watch to catch up on. Things I've heard about. Of course, the highlights include Wolfgang Van Halen coming out, playing two classic Van Halen songs. Something he has shied away from, has said he was not going to do. Dave Grohl on bass guitar, Justin Hawkins of The Darkness on lead vocals for Hot for Teacher and On Fire. Now, as the Van Halen fanatic that I am, I am ashamed to admit that I have not seen the whole Wolfgang performance yet. I have seen Hot for Teacher. That's part of the highlight package on Paramount Plus. And it's uncanny. Uncanny how Wolfie plays the guitar parts note for note almost flawlessly compared to his father. Cannot wait to watch the rest of it with On Fire. Of course, on fire off the debut album. Brian Johnson, lead singer of ACDC, came out, did a scorching rendition of Back in Black. Again, Dave Grohl out there with him. Lars Ulrich of Metallica on drums. 
Now, of course, there was some kind of controversy. Justin Hawkins again came out saying the second verse. People watched the video feed, thought that maybe Hawkins had crashed the party in this case. He was obviously invited for the Van Halen songs, but a lot of people thought that maybe he was pushing his luck trying to get even more face time for himself with ACDC and Brian Johnson. Of course, that's been refuted. Dave Grohl says, Brian Johnson asked Justin Hawkins at the last second to come out and help him sing back in black. A lot of the stories about Justin Hawkins and this, this Taylor Hawkins tribute He sounded very overwhelmed with a lot of it, not only the Van Halen part, but this with ACDC. Dave Grohl basically told him, if Brian Johnson tells you to do something, you do it. I've taken the profanity out so I can keep the fortress clean. Really hoping ACDC goes out on tour again somehow in the near future. Josh Homey of Queens of the Stone Age came out early on in the show. Taylor Hawkins was a big fan of David Bowie, so they did a couple Bowie songs. Josh Homey lead vocals on Let's Dance, and he sounded just like David Bowie. Ridiculous how close he sounded to Ziggy Stardust. Now another part, I saw that part, another part I have not seen yet, which I can't wait for, is the reunion of the one-off band, the album. I love the album. Can't get enough of it. Dave Grohl, Josh Homey and Led Zeppelin's bass player, John Paul Jones, them crooked vultures reunited at the Taylor Hawkins tribute show in London. So I have got to sit down and check that out. Of course, got to watch the Foo Fighters set. I've seen a little bit of the Pretender set. Of course, saw the beginning, the Oasis songs. So it, overall, the feel from the hour of footage that I've seen so far is that it is just a fantastic overall show. Next week, we'll talk more about it once I catch up and watch the rest of the, the concert. Once again, you can check it out. If you didn't see it live, that's all right. Paramount Plus has it in its entirety. Talking about Brian Johnson, of course, lead singer of ACDC. He has a memoir coming out October the 25th called The Lives of Brian. Be kind of neat to get a firsthand account 
of what it's like backstage at an ACDC show, what it's like to be in the studio with Angus Young. Of course, all the the trials and tribulations that ACDC has been through. Of course, we're not going to get the full story since Brian Johnson joined after the Bon Scott years. But I'm sure he'll address the transition, what it was like to get the call to join ACDC and everything after. Of course, the death of Malcolm Young. The legal issues of drummer Phil Rudd. That should make for an interesting read. We keep talking about David Lee Roth. He keeps putting stuff out there. Interesting little nuggets, tidbits, soundbites, songs. This week is no exception. David Lee Roth has just dropped a new version of Panama on us. Coming from studio sessions from back on May the 3rd of this year, the Henson Recording Studio, all this stuff was recorded live outside of Panama, no Van Halen. He assembled his current band of misfits, recorded 14 songs in about two hours is my understanding. But David Lee Roth has got so much material floating around out there. He doesn't seem to want to put it together in album format, doesn't want to release it. Outside of dropping digital singles, every couple months. I'm hoping at some point we get some albums here because he's definitely with the old John five stuff that we keep hearing in dribs and drabs. And now this stuff from May the third, we've got to have at least two albums worth of new material from David Lee Roth and his cohorts. Speaking of new music, you can hate them. I love them. Nickelback is, well, they're back. The new Nickelback album, Get Rollin', comes out November the 18th. The awesome lead single I've already burned through it two or three times, is San Quentin. It is typical Nickelback. That's why I love them. That's why other people hate them. They've got their style. They stay in their lane. They know how to do what they do to perfection. That's why along with Godsmack, an altar bridge, Nickelback, those three bands are the only newer bands from the last 20 to 25 years that I really enjoy listening to. Cannot wait for Get Rolling to come out. Hopefully, maybe finally, 
this whole stupid Nirvana nevermind cover lawsuit situation is over. Of course, with our legal system here in America, probably not the case, but for the fourth time, this lawsuit filed by Spencer Eldon, the now grown up baby on the cover of Nevermind. Of course, Nevermind's cover features a naked baby, male baby, obviously, if you've seen it, in a swimming pool or a body of water with a, a dollar bill or money attached to a hook floating in front of him. It's an iconic cover. It is one of the greatest covers, album covers in rock history. And I'm not even a big Nirvana fan, and I'll admit the cover of Nevermind is classic. It is brilliant. It's fantastic. But of course, Spencer Eldon has said over and over again, he feels this is abuse. Because, of course, as a baby, he had no say in whether or not he was going to be used as that cover model way, way back in the early 90s. And of course, since I'm older, I'm a get off my lawn type of guy. I'm a little more old school. I just say, Spencer Eldon, get over it. Get over it, dude. Number one, I believe when you're that young, your parents can actually make legal decisions for you. Especially when there was nothing illegal going on. There was no abuse going on. So again, for the fourth time, Spencer Eldon's lawsuit has failed. Of course, his legal team says they will appeal again, wasting more time and more money. Spencer, you're a snowflake. Get over it and move on with your life. Now, I have made it clear that I am not a huge fan of last Thanksgiving's Disney Plus documentary about the Beatles Get Back. I didn't hate it, but at the same time, it was so long. I got through about half of it, and that's pretty impressive considering it's about nine hours and I got through four and a half. But it was just too much, way too much. It wasn't that interesting. Beatles fans, I know, are going to cry blasphemy. How dare you? It's brilliant. See, for me, if it was Van Halen, I'd probably feel the same way. And that's fine. I get it. But for the casual music fan, for those of us who respect and admire the Beatles but aren't fanatics, it's boring as heck. That being said, 
get back won five Emmys this past week. So good for Peter Jackson, good for McCartney, good for Ringo Starr. But again, there is too much of a good thing. And get back to me exemplifies that cliche. It's too much of a good thing. The the editing on this, yes, I know you're trying to be a completist, Peter Jackson. You're trying to show every possible second you could of those sessions as the Beatles were on the, the fringes, the edges of breaking up for good. But you almost got to the point where you were showing them go to the bathroom. That's how much innocuous, boring detail is in a lot of get back to me, at least. Again, I never agree with the critics, whether it's TV, movies, or music. So take that for what you will. Congratulations again. Get Back wins five Emmys. Aerosmith has finally returned to the stage after delays due to COVID, delays due to Steven Tyler being in rehab. September the 4th, Aerosmith hit the stage in Bangor, Maine. I can hear promoters, I can hear Ticketmaster, they can hear cash registers cha-chinging. Of course, I guess that's an outdated frame of reference, but you can't really say credit card sliding or Apple Pay dinging or whatever it does when you pass your card over those devices. So I'm still going to go with the one that resonates. Farewell tour, got to be coming soon from Aerosmith. And all of the parties that would be associated with it, dollar signs in their eyes. And yes, they can hear the sounds of cash registers opening and closing over and over again. I've seen them a couple times. First time, not so good. Second time, very good. I might be tempted to just stick with that memory of Aerosmith, the very good concert. Don't want to go see him a third time and be disappointed. Then finally here to wrap up news of the world. I love football. I love football. I do a podcast with my friend Dave every Wednesday, Thursday morning called Sports Frenzy, where we talk about the week in sports. So we talk a lot about the NFL. And of course, the NFL just started up last night as I'm doing the Fortress here on the 9th. NBC carrying the opening game of the 2022-2023 season, the Bills versus the Rams. Of course, we heard 
Ozzy Osbourne going to do the halftime show for the opening game. Of course, his new album, Patient Number 9, just came out today. We'll talk more about that later. This is why sometimes I get mad at the NFL and I get mad at media in general. The halftime show at the Super Bowl, all they want to do now is show every possible rap, hip-hop artist they possibly can. One, two, three, four, five of them all together, whatever it might be. Eminem, Jennifer Lopez, Shakira. They've abandoned old school rock and roll people like you and me. Because remember back when we used to have The Who, Bruce Springsteen, and of course even Prince. We're never going to get Metallica. I even heard somebody on one of the major sports stations in the country ridiculing the idea of Elton John doing a halftime show because it's all about the kids. It's all about the rap, the hip hop. So coming back around to last night's opening game with Buffalo and Los Angeles. Again, Ozzy Osbourne doing the halftime show. NBC showed 10 seconds, 10 seconds of footage of Ozzy Osbourne performing. And you want to tell me there are not factions out there in the media who hate rock and roll? Factions who hate heavy metal? I was pretty excited when I heard Ozzy was going to get a spot like this. But of course, what good does it do him if the network covering the game won't show it? Instead, they they got the boring talking heads at halftime, including Tony Dungy. My understanding was he was reading out of the Bible at halftime. How about that? How about that? Instead of showing the Prince of Darkness perform, you've got a guy reading from the Bible. How about that for irony? Shame on NBC. Shame on them. Don't even mention, don't even bother to mention that Ozzy Osbourne's getting a halftime show if you're not going to show it. If you're going to put your boring, stupid halftime crew out there to dissect the game. And again, I love football. The NFL is my favorite. But in many ways, the NFL are a bunch of hypocrites. And this is just another example of them kowtowing to certain groups and ignoring others in their fan base. All right, that's going to do it for News of the World. Segment one is a wrap. Got a quick promo for you, and I'll be right back with Breakdown. Reviews of the new King's X album, Three Sides of One, 
and new songs from the Struts and Ugly Kid Joe. Hang out for a little bit longer with me, kids. I'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown where we are going to review all the new songs all the new albums all the new concert tours the shows that i've seen personally stay tuned for that of course we're now available on spotify anchor apple stitcher Castbox, google pocket Cast, and radio public wherever you listen to your favorite podcast hang out kids we'll be right back Welcome back, segment two, The Fortress of Rock, episode 56, September the 9th, 2022. You don't get a three-day weekend this week like last week, kids, but still, make sure you enjoy your fun times this weekend as we record this on Friday evening, as always, kind of lead you into the weekend with some awesome rock discussion. And we are available anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Audible. And of course, we have a Facebook page as well, so check that out. We just posted our weekend rock project, a tribute of sorts to Labor Day, asking for your favorite rock songs that feature a specific job or profession. And of course, New Music Sunday, where we post a video of a new song for you to check out each and every Sunday. All right, time for breakdown couple reviews for you this week. Album I've been looking forward to here for the last few months. First album in over a decade from King's X. Three Sides of One. Came out last Friday. Twelve tracks. So, of course, whenever we possibly can, we are going to go track by track. Now, first, I want to make some observations about the album. Number one, it's very scattershot. As we go through, you'll see what I mean as I as I break down all the songs. Lots of tempo shifts. Thematically, it's very interesting. Lots of references to water and flooding. Lots of men- mentions of time and death. course i guess i never really realized but like collective soul king's x is a reputation as almost being a borderline christian rock band 
Now, just like Collective Soul, King's X denies that and says just because we're Christians, just because we're spiritual does not mean we're a Christian band. And I can understand that. Again, one of my favorite bands is Collective Soul, and they get pigeonholed like that all the time. Just because you mention something that can be traced back to the Bible, or you say God, or talk about praying, doesn't mean you're a spiritual band, per se. doesn't mean you're a Christian band. So let's start off with a song we reviewed in the past here, the lead-off track on Three Sides of One is Let It Rain, an awesome, awesome song. This, of course, was the initial single released by King's X for this album. Obviously, rain in the title, there's your water motif, your water theme starting up. Let It Rain is a nice, solid, hard rocker. Then you go into Song 2, Flood Part 1. Yes, again, obvious water reference. Flood is very ambitious. Very ambitious. It's got everything from strings to molten, borderline metal guitar. Massive tempo shifts within the song. Now, when I mentioned the album is scattershot in terms of how it feels, that was me referencing it song by song. But Flood Part 1, you've got a lot of different tempo shifts going on just within that song. And that, again, makes it one of the best songs on the album. Very ambitious. So we're pretty much two for two here on three sides of one. But then, unfortunately, we get a sluggish mid-tempo song that really has nothing, in my opinion, to offer called Nothing But The Truth. It is an interesting song for one reason, though. It has kind of almost a false ending, and then you get a killer guitar solo as the song comes back in for about 30 or 40 seconds. Kind of redeems the song. No pun intended, sorry. Again, don't read too much into that. Then track four, of course, the second single we, we got from Three Sides of One is Give It Up, another fantastic Fantastic rocker like Let It Rain. And this is, again, the reason why I was looking forward to this album was the first two singles were just so strong. Then the third single is track five, All God's Children. Now, this is where we get back into the more ambitious side of King's X. Again, more references to floods, more references to water. Now, the thing about King's X is most people recognize Doug Pinnock 
as the lead vocalist on most of their hits, if you want to call them hits. But if you listen a little bit deeper, if you, if you, if you dive in a little bit more, you'll realize that they pretty much share the lead vocals throughout the trio. And All God's Children is a perfect example of that, whereas Doug Pinnock was lead vocalist on Let It Rain and Give It Up. He fades into the background on All God's Children. Again, a very ambitious song. Poison Water. Blind Faith something else the song discusses it's not a bad song but you could tell when this came out as the third single right as the album was getting released that maybe this was a sign that the album wasn't quite as strong as the first two singles would have led you to believe so then we get to song six take the time yes there's the time theme coming into play more strings on this one not a big fan of this one again kind of a weak mid-tempo song then we get to rock out for the next few tunes track seven festival track eight swipe up And I think with these two songs, and again, I have to keep harking back to Let It Rain and Give It Up, King's X almost seems to be better when they simplify everything. When they try to get too ambitious, they almost become bland. Festival is a really cool rocking song. On the surface, it sounds like they're just talking about having a concert, having a festival for everybody. Now, if you really dig into the lyrics, though, it almost sounds like a condemnation of the lack of safety at big festivals like a Lollapalooza. There's a really, really interesting line in the song about what's the worst that could happen. Somebody could die, which kind of hammers that point home that this is not the feel good. Let's all just get out to a concert and rock and roll. It's a very sly little turn on the generic concert party tune where they're almost looking at yeah, we keep forgetting about the fact that people get crushed, stampeded, drug overdoses, dehydration. So I give Festival a lot of credit for being on the, the surface, just a hard rock and tune, but underneath there is definitely another layer. And then Song 8, Swipe Up, another solid grungy rocker. This one, of course, is more of a straightforward condemnation of technology. 
And of course, I'm all for that. As I sit here doing this podcast on a Chromebook, being a hypocrite. <laughs> but while I admire a lot of what technology over the last 30, 40 years has brought us, the internet, email, smartphones, a lot of it seems to now have more negative aspects than positive aspects. Social media, the fact that you can't get away from your boss at work because you got a cell phone in your hand 24-7. The internet offers almost too much information at times. So Swipe Up's a pretty good song. Not, again, not up to the level of the first two singles, but pretty good. Song nine is Holidays. The time theme comes into this one as well. Again, a lot of these songs on Three Sides of One are very deep with the lyrics. Holidays is a song about not wishing your life away. And we all done it. We have all fallen into the trap where we go into work on a Tuesday morning and say, I wish it was Friday or even looking forward two or three weeks to the next holiday, the next three-day weekend. So it's a very interesting song about how you shouldn't wish your life away. Enjoy the moments you've got. And maybe even a little bit of, if you hate your job and it sucks that much, quit. Watcher, song 10, is a little weird, but it's catchy. Watcher has kind of a Bloomhouse creepy vibe to it, almost like a black phone type feel. But it's good. It's a good, solid song. Unfortunately, seems to be the case with a lot of the albums we've talked about here over the last year. A lot of these bands do not know how to close out an album anymore. And unfortunately, King's X is no exception. The last two songs, She Called Me Home. That brings back in the death theme and then every everywhere is okay but again they dial things back down a little bit towards the end go back more to mid-tempo stuff so maybe now you've got a feel for what i was talking about where i said so many tempo changes among songs not in the songs outside of flood part one I'll stick with what I said a few minutes ago. King's X is one of those bands. They should simplify what they're doing. Let Doug Pinnock sing vocals and just rock out. Don't worry about as great as some of the lyrics are on three sides of one. Don't worry about overreaching. 
for themes and for motifs. Sometimes it's better to just stick with the KISS philosophy. You can say that as the band, or you can say it as keep it simple stupid. So in the end, I can give three sides of one the barest, most borderline of recommendations. I'll probably listen to it again. And of course, that's the cutoff for me. If I listen to an album for this podcast three, four, five times, and I'm like, that's it. I'll probably never pull it out again or never get on Spotify and call it up again, then that means it's not recommendable at all. I can see listening to King's X three sides of one again, but it won't be very often. Let's put it that way. All right, so two new songs. The Struts, Fallen With Me. The Struts are an interesting band that at times I really like and at times I really find irritating. They have a lot of energy. Solid front man. I've seen him in concert twice. But at the same time, you kind of get over the whole glam rock, Elton John, Freddie Mercury stuff that they seem to want to hammer into the crowd, into their audience over and over and over again, the flamboyance. The songs are good. Their albums have been solid so far, but nothing classic. Nothing spectacular, nothing that's going to be in your car, be in your CD player, be at the top of your Spotify list. Now, the new song, Fallen With Me, I find that to be a little bit better, a little bit above average compared to most of the other songs by the Struts little bit harder not don't take me don't take this the wrong way not not like metal hard not hard rock hard but for them for the struts it's just a little bit edgier a little bit harder but it's still got all their typical nods and homages to body language era queen I like the song. I really did. So the Struts are one of those bands that I begrudgingly will listen to and continue to listen to, but they are on thin ice with me. Let's put it that way. They don't get the leeway that my favorite bands do. When they want to drop a clunker, I'll forgive them. The Struts don't get that. They drop a clunker on me. I'm done. Then, of course, finally, we've got the new song from Ugly Kid Joe. 
course, I love the lead-off single from their upcoming album. That Ain't Living was a fantastic rocker. An almost ACDC type of hard rock song. Of course, we know Ugly Kid Joe from way, way back when they had their hits with Everything About You and Neighbor. Very witty, sardonic lyrics wrapped in a wonderful hard rock cushion. Now, That Ain't Living is more straightforward, straight on hard rock. Now we get Long Road. Ugly Kid Kid Joe Goes Country is what I can simply distill Long Road down into. Is it a bad song? No. It's fine. Definitely have heard worse, especially within the last couple weeks. But talking about stylistic changes, tempo changes with the King's X album. Wow. (laughs) Those seem insignificant and minor compared to Ugly Kid Joe and what they're doing here with Long Road. This really sounds like almost a straightforward country song. A somewhat catchy, solid country song but a country song nonetheless. Some of you out there will probably like it. Some of you won't. I'm definitely on the fence with this one. I'm not a big country guy. Occasionally, I enjoy some Darius Rucker. But I'm old school country. I like Waylon Jennings. Old Dolly Parton, Juice Newton. The new stuff is too polished. It's almost a caricature of country music. Sandpapering off all the rough edges that made country music what it was back in the 70s and early 80s. So Long Road by Ugly Kid Joe kind of falls in between. It's not quite as shiny and wonderfully polished as a Carrie Underwood song would be nowadays. Take your pick. Trace Adkins, any of the current country artists. But it's not old school either. It's still got a little bit of that formula, that current formula, that current country paint-by-numbers feel to it. So like I said, listen to Long Road at your own risk. If you like current country music, you'll probably enjoy Long Road. All right, and that'll do it for Breakdown. We're halfway home, kids. Friday evening here, September the 9th. Got another promo for you, and I will be right back with 
our look at anniversaries and birthdays in rock and roll history. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, time to climb into the Fortress of Rock DeLorean. Travel back in time to look back at great moments on this day in rock and roll history, birthdays, anniversaries. Of course, this is always the moment each and every Friday night in this podcast where I have to acknowledge my sources for a lot of the ideas for my stories, especially in segments one and three, ultimateclassicrock.com the Van Halen News Desk, and thisdayinmusic.com. Let's start off with the birthdays. 1952, September the 9th. Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, 70 years old today. Happy birthday to Dave Stewart. Of course, a very, very well-respected producer outside of the Eurythmics. I don't believe the Eurythmics should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that's just yet another joke, piled upon joke, piled upon joke for the farce that is known as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not trying to take anything away from the Eurythmics. They were a fantastic pop band in the 80s. They're not a rock band. The fact that the Eurythmics are going in based on critics and peer votes and Judas Priest has to go in as a special honoree is a travesty. The Eurythmics aren't the only one, though. You guys have heard me rant about this. So I will just leave it at Happy birthday to Dave Stewart. September the 9th, 1950. John McPhee, one of the members of the Doobie Brothers during their most popular years, 70s and early 80s, 72 years old today. Of course, I've mentioned we reviewed the Doobie Brothers live in concert here a little while back. Glad that they got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One of the more overlooked bands to me in rock and roll history. Now, there's a great, great book that just came out recently called Long Train Running, written by Patrick Simmons and Tom Johnston, the two 
main members of the Doobie Brothers, along with Michael McDonald. Check that out if you get a chance. I'm a sucker for a good rock and roll biography. Then finally, the most important birthday we've got this week, again, today, September the 9th, born in 1941, unfortunately passed away way too soon, dying in an infamous plane crash in 1967, was the great Otis Redding. Sitting on the dock of the bay is one of the coolest songs ever. I don't know how else I can describe it. I don't know how I can put it on a higher pedestal than that. It is just a cool song. Birthday wishes and rest in peace to the great Otis Redding. Okay, moving on to anniversaries. So we got the DeLorean. We're going to go back in time, just like we did with the birthdays. For our anniversaries, we're going to start in 1982, September the 9th, 40 years ago. The video for Billy Joel's Pressure debuted on MTV. This is a song that has been extremely controversial in Billy Joel's career. Not necessarily because of the content of the song, but of course, Billy Joel is widely respected. Again, another definitely worthy member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Finally, kind of getting his due, getting the respect he deserves. Starting to edge up and getting close to being placed on the same level as an Elton John or a Bruce Springsteen, of course, guys that he plays with now and then in concert. And he deserves to be mentioned along with them. Pressure, though, the leadoff single from the Nylon Curtain, his first really ambitious album. A lot of people didn't get it, didn't like it. It was so much different from his previous two massive albums, The Stranger and 52nd Street, and of course, Glass Houses, sorry, three massive albums before The Nylon Curtain. So, of course, as an artiste, Sometimes I say that sarcastically. Sometimes I just say it on a reflex. I do appreciate and admire actors, musicians who do want to expand their horizons and stretch, but they better be damn sure they can pull it off. Now, Billy Joel did with the Nylon Curtain. Nylon Curtain ended up being a success. Not quite as big as the previous trio of albums I mentioned, but still a massive success. He still plays pressure 
to this day in concert. It's a staple of his set list. I personally love the song. I personally think it's one of his top 10 songs. There are, again, other people who gravitate more towards the less ambitious stuff, let's say. the the Just the way you are. She's always a woman type stuff. I kind of like Pressure. I like the edgier stuff. Pressure is an awesome song. It should not get the grief that it gets from a lot of Billy Joel diehard fans. All right, going back to September the 8th. Cheating a little bit here. Going back one day. 45th anniversary. September the 8th, 1977. In my humble opinion, the greatest rock instrumental track ever was recorded. That would be Van Halen's Eruption. Blistering. Legendary. Should always be played on the radio leading into You Really Got Me. And if you don't, as a radio programmer, you're an idiot. Journey has songs that need to be played back to back. Eruption should always be played in concert, in tandem with You Really Got Me. And I will stick by what I said. It is the greatest instrumental rock and roll track of all time recorded 45 years ago yesterday, September the 8th. Back to 1975 and back to today, September the 9th. Paul McCartney and Wings start their legendary 13-month world tour. This, of course, would end up being the tour that the U.S. parts of would be recorded for the triple album. Arguably one of the greatest live albums, if not the greatest live album ever, Wings Over America. Triple album. Something I did not know about this tour. Just found out as I was doing research for the podcast. The U.S. leg of this tour, of course, again, where Wings Over America was recorded, those were the first U.S. shows Paul McCartney had done since he was in the Beatles. So that would have said, what, nine years probably? Eight, nine years? And of course, as I've always mentioned on here on the podcast, 
the mid-70s is right when I started getting into music, started listening to rock and roll. And I remember Wings Over America, a friend of mine had it. Had the LP, it was awesome. The silver cover, the side of the, the plane. Even I recognized the greatness of solo Paul McCartney back then. Speaking of recognizing greatness, finally, our last anniversary as we take the DeLorean back almost two decades from Paul McCartney and Wings. September the 9th, 1956. The first ever appearance by Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show. And if you guys don't know the legend, younger people especially out there, if you don't know the legend of Elvis Presley and his appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show, you have got to go look them up. Do a Wikipedia search. Scandalous. Scandalous. <laughs> Compared to what we put up with now on television. The fact that now on cable TV you can drop the F-bomb after 10 o'clock. And then look back at Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show and look at the history and uh, read about what was considered so scandalous about Elvis. It, it'll just make you laugh and realize how much society has changed in the last 60 plus years. I might actually have a review for you, a movie review, not a music review, a movie review for you, by the way. Going to try to watch Elvis, the new movie that just came out here recently about the king of rock and roll. Of course, my understanding is it's told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks. So, I might be gracing you with a movie review on the Fortress of Rock next week. I've got a very small window here where I can watch it for free, so free is good. And that will do it for I Want to Go Back. Segment three is over, finished and done for this week. But... The Fortress of Rock is not quite done yet. You guys all know we still got to wrap it up. After one more promo, we are going to talk about the songs, the albums, and the concerts I am going to be reviewing over the next month or so. So hang out with me on Friday night for just a couple more minutes, and I will be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. 
So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs? What albums? What concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. All right, as much as it pains me to do it, I've got to start shutting down this episode of the Fortress of Rock here. Episode 56, September the 9th, 2022. But of course, for a couple minutes, we're going to discuss the music and the concerts that I will be reviewing here over the next month or so in future episodes. First and foremost on that list is next week. And our album review will be Ozzy Osbourne's Patient Number 9. Of course, in News of the World this week, I discussed NBC's pathetic, awful efforts to show the bare minimum of the footage they could with Ozzy playing at the halftime of the football game last night between the Bills and the Rams at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. We will not cut Ozzy short. We will not insult him like NBC did last night. We will, of course, as always here on The Fortress, go track by track through the star-studded song lineup on patient number nine on next week's Fortress of Rock. Now, I will be reviewing in two weeks concert here locally where I record. One of the few times I can actually say I don't have to to go much more than a few miles to see a, a good, good show. So in two weeks on The Fortress, you will get my review of Everclear and Stone Temple Pilots at Four Winds Field in South Bend, Indiana. Other albums on the horizon. I've mentioned how I'm looking forward to the Smithereens, the Lost album. That'll be out on September the 23rd. I'll have a review of that for you a week or two after the release date. As I will also have a review of Billy Idol's new EP, another one we've talked about here over the last week or two, The Cage, also out on September the 23rd. New songs. Second single from the Cult's upcoming album. Song is A Cut Inside. 
We'll have that for you within the next couple of weeks on the Fortress of Rock. I mentioned how excited I am about new Nickelback. Haters be damned. Trolls be damned. Critics be damned. I love Nickelback. And I have already listened to the new single, San Quentin, three or four times, and I love it. Chad Kroger and company are back with a vengeance. Next week, I will have my review of San Quentin for you. The third single from Pawns and Kings, the new Ultra Bridge album coming out in October is Sin After Sin, another song I've already listened to. Extremely strong. Could be the best of the three songs released so far. Of course, I will be seeing Alter Bridge in February 2023 as they tour with Mammoth WVA2, by the way. I'm taking this with a grain of salt because Wolfie's gotten to the the point where he makes a lot of promises he can't keep. Not because he's a bad guy, but because he's touring all the time, constantly touring, constantly doing stuff. But he claims that he is going into the studio next week to start the second album from Mammoth WVH. So hopefully in February 2023, I will hear some new stuff from Mammoth along with the great and glorious Alter Bridge. Sin After Sin will be on next week's docket for a review. Finally, I don't know how to feel about this one. Sammy Hagar in the circle loved the initial release of Crazy Times, the title track. Loved it. Loved it. I think it's already a contender for, in my humble opinion, the Fortress of Rock Song of the Year. Wasn't as big of a fan as some of the second single, the remake of Elvis Costello's Pump It Up. Now what they're doing with the third single is they're revisiting the very short covers album they put out during the COVID lockdown. The one new song on that effort was Funky Feng Shui. So now they've re-recorded it for crazy times. And again, I've listened to this and I honestly have got to tell you first impressions, I liked the original version better. A lot better. I'm not sure this re-recorded version matches up with the original. And it's a short, short song. It's barely, barely over two minutes. So I might have to hold off a couple weeks on Funky Feng Shui 
compare the older version to the newer version. The crazy times version versus the lockdown version. But right off the bat, I'm going to tell you the lockdown version much, much better. And that's going to do it for the Fortress of Rock here, Friday night, September the 9th, 2022. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane, as always. Enjoy talking music, enjoy talking rock and roll with you guys. And we're going to keep it on rolling each and every Friday night. So check out episode 57 next Friday night, September the 16th. Until then... See ya.